We are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Winchab, coming us live from Germany today. Are you doing, uh, Seth? Good. How's Mississippi? <laughs> yeah, I'm coming live from Mississippi. So we're we're both been traveling a lot this week. We're both extremely tired on a Friday night, but we're going to try to rally a little bit uh, to give you guys a good episode and uh, to look into all the news this week and. Uh, First off, this uh, episode of the podcast is sponsored. We have a sponsor this week. It's Aviton. Uh, Aviton's award pace 50 and 350 set the standard for upright cruisers, e-bikes with new upgrade and design feature. You can check out the full lineup at Aviton's website, uh, which is linked in the, in the show notes below. But we're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on the show. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but we'll jump in. We'll jump in on all the news this week. Uh, we have a lot of news items, but uh, nothing too big. Nothing that we are... Uh, uh, we're going to last too long on, so so we're going to try to move the show along um, pretty quickly. And uh, we're going to start with this this thing we talked about a little bit uh, last week or the week before that, maybe. But uh, we, we we thought it was coming, but we weren't so sure. And now it's actually coming. This is uh, an interesting approach here that uh, a lot of people kind of agree with, but it's it seems to be dead in the water. Uh, it's Aptera. That has been Aptera has been very pushing hard that they want to adopt Tesla supercharger and. Um, more specifically, this is plug the actual connector, and uh, the um, they want to do that for their own electric solar video uh, solar vehicle. And uh, but now they're asking for a more broader adoption of the uh, Tesla plug, uh, asking Congress through a petition to make Tesla's plug and its supercharger network the standard for electric vehicle in the U.S. And we uh, we kind of shared their, their opinion last time a little bit. It's the same. They think that the CCS and the G seventeen seventy two is too clunky. Uh, it's uh, it's not a um, very elegant design. I mean, you can just take a look at it, and it's, there's no there's no discussion there. It's it's obviously not an elegant design. The more difficult to maneuver. Uh, the big the big argument is for like for smaller people, for for women, especially in the winter. It's it's literally difficult to handle this. And even for men, I I had my issues sometimes. Just like especially depending on the uh, situation with the cable, uh, it's harder to manipulate. It's not it's not easy. Uh, compared to the Tesla supercharger, which even though it does have uh, the supercharger, it has a bigger, thicker cable that can be also hard to manipulate. At the connector level, it's super easy. And then when you're talking about like a level two, because the same connectors for level two and level three, uh, it's as easy as it gets. So they're saying that this should be the standard for uh, electric vehicle in the US, even though everything is moving to CCS because it's more lightweight, it's extremely efficient, and it's an elegant connector. So this uh, petition kind of got some traction this week after launching. It already has now over 15,000 signatures. And everyone that is made aware that everyone that is familiar with the EV space and has been made aware of this effort here from uh, um, Aptera, they they agree with it. Like, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. However, at the same time, it's like it's it's a bit too late for this. Like this should have happened probably like maybe three or four years ago. Um, if you look at the EV market in the US, it would technically still make sense because Tesla still represents like a like a significant majority of the electric vehicle on the US fleet. Uh, but there's so many other new vehicles coming to market right now. There's already a bunch of them uh, that are there, just not in a high volume enough to really compare to Tesla in terms of the overall fleet. But to change all those or to make a way to have an adapters for all those vehicles and to 
have uh, all the Electrify America station, all the Evigo station. Though Evigo already has adopted Tesla's connector in some of their stations, too. So there's there's already some steps to be fair there. But it looks to be like a giant mess to 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 do that. And not even Tesla is asking for it right now. Like Tesla is already kind of uh, admitting defeat on that front. Not that not that they fought like very strongly for this. Like they just they just developed their own charger and our own connector because nothing else existed at the time uh, but now the that the ccs is taking over they are they are integrating that into their own business so it's not i mean i just every way i looked at it i'm like oh it makes sense i just don't see a way that this is going to happen i don't know what do you think said yeah so a lot of things there uh one it's interesting that aptera is the one bringing it to mark or bringing this uh thing out uh, because you know you would think Tesla would be the one fighting for it. Um, Aptera, obviously, uh, you know they're trying to keep their car as light as possible. They're trying to be as efficient as possible, so it makes sense that they would want a Tesla adapter versus a bigger CCS combo adapter. There's tons of actual like um, royalties that need to be paid for CCS. Well, that's whereas, a good point. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, whereas Tesla doesn't have any, uh, or they offered their patents for free. I just think um, none of the big companies wanted to put all their charging marbles or you know, whatever you call them in Tesla's hands. Um, maybe what would have been more effective or could still be more effective is if Tesla tries to make, you know, the 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 super, you know, their their adapter like the next CCS standard. Mm-hmm. Or something like that, or maybe you know they meet halfway or some. I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to um, deal with it. But you know, when I see this, it reminds me of the uh, the Tesla. Sorry, the uh, VHS versus Sony Betamax thing, yeah. where Sony Betamax was a smaller uh, tape. It had better resolution, better sound, but VA, but Sony owned all the you know the mm-hmm. rights to it. So all the other companies got together and said, "Let's make this other." Mm-hmm. thing which was bigger and clunkier and not as good quality but because every other company was doing it it became this you know all the uh most people probably don't remember this but when you know blockbuster would have like this little wall Section, of tape, yeah. and then you know they would have mm-hmm. a whole library of vhs tapes so people were like yeah, i'll just buy the bigger uh did you so. have a sony Betamax uh machine no, we were actually going to buy one. We were kind of late getting into the uh, tape wars, I think. Um, but when we got one, we got a lot of tapes after that. But, uh, yeah, I just remember, like, we went into, I don't think it was called a Blockbuster. I think whatever our local place was. And there was a, you know, like a shelf for Betamax. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, three feet long, maybe, like, 20 tapes. Mm-hmm. And then there was, like, a, a literal library for VHS. So we were like, eh. We know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's one. There's one thing I, I like, now that you say that that, that I think uh, we should mention just to better represent Aptera's uh, um, initiative here is that one of their main argument is that this is coming at a time where uh, the the federal government is investing billions of dollars into electric vehicle uh, infrastructure. So their 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 point is more like, hey, you guys are about to to choose a winner here by investing like a ton of money in it and deploying a lot more station than already exists. So uh, if you're about to choose a winner, you should choose the right one. This is kind of the, the point. Uh, but as I mean, the government has already discussed with all the stakeholders and everything. And I, I, I think that all the stakeholders win the VHS way. 
Yeah, I wonder I wonder how low Tesla's price point is for the adapters. Like if they could get they made them at scale, could they make them for like 80 bucks or something? Cuz if they could do that, then you could almost say, "All right, you know, let's make adapters for and then have backwards adapters too." Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but the other issue is that when it come when we say that Tesla is open sourcing their patent when it, when it comes to electric vehicle and their their charging station. It's not a true open source where it's more you can use them for free and we uh, we won't sue you. But in exchange, you don't sue us with anything related to intellectual property theft, which, uh, I mean, sounds completely fair. <laughs> it's not it's not like a bad thing for Tesla to say it's, it's completely fair. But at the same time, what it does, it's basically open season at this point and then Tesla would be able to if they would want to. I'm not saying that they want to, but it, it like it, it's uh, like a lot of those companies at this high level, or the lawyers have a lot of uh, have inputs in those companies. Sometimes some of the executive, the top executive, are, are from a, a lawyer background, and like they they see something like that, and it's a big no no for them, and they they don't want to get involved in it at all, which. Is it is a problem? I think at this level, when you want, because like you said, it's it's cheaper, and not only that, like I, I think Avatera is pushing a little bit further than just the connector itself. They they say like we look at the Tesla supercharger network, and and this as a whole should be a standard because I mean we just reported in the study of the uh, fast charging station in the Bay Area that showed that uh, the uptime was horrific for anything else or anything other than Tesla, right. and. Um, and uh, the experience in general, you come to a Tesla supercharger, you, the plug-in charge has, has been around forever. It's a super smooth experience. I mean, I've just driven 2,000 miles uh, in the last week alone uh, using the supercharger network, and I, I never had an issue stopping a supercharger. The only thing I can complain of is sometimes when you stop at superchargers, you don't have all the choices that you would want uh, in terms of anonymities, but like uh, sometimes I just don't want to go to a Waffle House or something. But other than that, it's. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I went to my first uh, Waffle House the other day because it was next to Tesla Supercharger, and uh, so I, I know that there's a lot of different Waffle House. So I'm not going to judge the whole brands around that. But you try the grits. Uh, the, the whole place didn't hold up to my hygiene standards. But <laughs> I mean, it might have been just this particular ones. But I'll, uh, so so I'm not blaming the whole Waffle House brand. But yeah, other than that, like it's hard to to say anything about the supercharger network that's not positive. Uh, of course, I, I drove through the Midwest and and the South, so it's not it, it's not the most busiest uh, route ever. So I know I know a lot of people in the Bay Area right now would be saying, "Yeah, I have some complaint about the supercharger network," and that that would be the wait times. But Tesla is of course trying to address that uh, with deploying more station. It's just that uh, the, the demand. Uh, for the cars are, are are so strong that it's hard to keep up with the deployment. Right. Oh yeah, I mean, what what do you put the chances of that happening at all? Uh, I think very little, and it's really unfortunate because we're we're it's getting worse. So, yeah. what what's what's bad is like EVgo and and Electrify America, the two main uh, you know, charging networks in the U.S. Um, EVgo uh, has a huge deal with GM, and now they're doing their own plug and charge with GM. So like GM cars will pull up to an EVgo and plug in and you know they'll start charging automatically. Uh, everybody else has to like get an app, push a button, you know, do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Which if it's working is great. I mean, it's fine. It's not the best, but you know, everybody knows our stance is like plug and go, plug and charge should be everywhere, like mm-hmm. without a doubt. So um, 
yeah, it's just it it's it's depressing because it's getting worse. Like there's no like maybe they should maybe the government should be like, look, we're mandating plug and go for every car, plug and go for every uh machine you know, machine. And if you don't have plug and go sorry, plug and charge on your car, then you don't get a seventy five hundred dollar rebate. And if you don't have uh you know plug and charge on your uh, charging stations and you don't get, you know, whatever money there access to the fund, the federal. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, I mean, you're right. That would be make a lot more sense than getting $4,500 more because your car may or may not be made by union workers. Uh, right. It's like the, that would make more sense, but I think we're so far from that right now. Um, I mean, but the, I mean, when you look at like this picture here, for example, the design itself is so obviously better. Right. Uh, the only thing that people have been uh, commenting on in terms of the design and the capability that I, I think is a, is a good point is a CCS. Um, well, there's two things. CCS as um, uh, right now can go up to 600 kilowatts. I think that the, the high, right. highest capacity. Right. Uh, I don't think Tesla can do that. Right. Uh, Tesla right. Tesla can do that and more with the mega charger connector, but that is a bigger connector, closer to the size. But but not I don't even think that's as big as the CCS2 either. But it's a different form. It's more like rectangular. But uh, I would like to see like both side by side, see what's bigger. But the and uh, bidirectional charging capacity, though Tesla says that is uh, built in, so they just it's they're not using it right now, but they have the capacity to the, the charger, just maybe not their, their vehicles right now. Um, so there, there's these two caveats, but for other other than that, it's just no doubt who's the winner here. Who's the winner on paper? Who's actually become the standard is obviously CCS. Yeah, and it's a shame. Yeah, All right, on the battery front, uh, we have uh, Panasonic that uh, has been talking, making a lot of waves this week for two reasons. Uh, first off, they are teasing a battery capacity increase that's going to come. They don't say when; they just say by the end of the decade, but the fact that you're talking about it right now, uh, publicly like that, the, it's it's not some kind of reports from insider. It's actually, oh boy, I'm so sorry, man. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Mr. Watanabe, <laughs> I think the, his last name is a little bit easier, uh, the CTO of uh, Panasonic Energy, and he's the leader of the partnership between Panasonic and Tesla. And uh, they uh, they are working right now on a new, uh, new electrolyte. So you have uh, in, in battery cell, you have the anode, the cathode, and the electrolyte in between. And uh, they, they are trying to, they're not trying to, they have developed a new electrolyte that they're trying to bring to production. And uh, this new electrolyte, they think is going to enable uh, energy density increase of 20% in their existing battery cells, which uh, uh, if if you look at the highest battery cell that Panasonic is now producing for Tesla, it's this, about 750 watt hour per liter. Uh, so that would boost it to 900 watt hour per liter. And on the voltage side, they think that they can get it from 4.2, the Tesla cells right now that they're producing, to either 4.5 or 4.6. And that would be a, a game changer. I mean, the Panasonic is already producing very great cells for Tesla, uh, but but that would... Uh, the, the, the people are always talking about, oh, more range is going to be more range. Uh, for on, on the sides of Tesla, I don't think that would necessarily result for more range for Tesla. I think instead, Tesla, what we would do is they would uh, build smaller battery pack and more efficient vehicle with similar range or maybe a little bit higher, but not much higher because people are mostly happy with the range in the Tesla vehicles right now. Not, not a lot of people are asking for a lot more. Uh, there's always the winter conditions that is more uh, bothering people. And I think Tesla should eventually... 
when they figure out production a little bit more that they they're, they're not so production constrained uh, i think i could see tesla offering maybe an, another option for longer range vehicles on their same on their same units or their same models but for now that's not the case but that would could enable that but i think the bigger impact of that is that you could produce more vehicle with fewer batteries uh, and for cheaper and but uh mr watanabe also uh, hinted that this opened up also other avenue for um electrifying other mode of transport of course the the planes have been something that uh, I've been looked into a lot that you need higher energy density uh, because you just need it more efficient in terms of the weight ratio. And uh, that is starting to become into the range of like, oh, we could make commercial electric planes viable with this. So this is an exciting tough stuff. Again, they don't say when. They say that uh, it's going to come this decade, but we don't know when. Of course, it does also matches with uh, Panasonic talking about producing the Tesla 4680 format cells uh which uh for that they've they have uh, they've guided the next financial year which start in um, april for uh for panasonic the japanese they, they use the financial year a lot uh, instead of the regular calendar year but that was actually just one of two big news from Panasonic this week and both are kind of related for tesla because of course Panasonic's biggest customer in terms of uh, automotive sales is tesla is Panasonic announced that they're going to build a giant battery cell factory in kansas and uh, it was confirmed that it's to supply tesla with the new 4680 cell uh, the um we've been reporting that they've confirmed for a long time that they were looking at location in the u.s for a new battery factory ever since they announced that they're investing heavily into the 4680 cell and um they uh they, they, they were choosing between kansas and oklahoma uh, there was a project they were close to a deal in Oklahoma. The governor uh, last month, uh, no, sorry, in April, was uh, asking the legislature to uh, approve a big incentive package. And uh, while it didn't say that it was linked to Panasonic, it was rumored to be linked to Panasonic and Tesla. Uh, but now Kansas got uh, the better end. So it's now zero and two uh, uh, when it comes to Oklahoma and the giant uh, EV-related project. So sorry, people for Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, Kansas takes the win here. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they, they're talking about a $4 billion investment, 4,000 jobs. Unfortunately, they never confirmed the actual production capacity. So we kind of have to just like make a quick back of the napkin, Matt. Uh, but a $4 billion investment, 4,000 jobs. I mean, this is, has to be, I think, in the high two-digit gigawatt hour, at, I, I would think. So I don't yeah. know, 50 to 100 would be my, my guess. Um, and that's, of course, a lot for uh, enough for hundreds of thousands of uh, electric vehicles per year. And the idea is that Panasonic is the biggest customer is likely going to be Tesla in, in Texas. So sending those, those battery cells to uh, Gigafactory Texas and Austin. Yeah, it's exciting because Tesla, that, that in, likely in the next year or two, the, the, the battery cells is going to be Tesla's biggest bottleneck uh, as they ramp up production. You know, it's kind of funny. What? Uh, you know, it's right between Kansas and Texas when that when that train is taking those batteries from Kansas to Texas. Oklahoma. <laughs> they're gonna, so they're going to see the truck go by, but not uh, they're not going to get the job. Or hopefully <laughs> the train. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how they, why they cannot close it because especially they had the distance advantage on this if the, the goal was to get close to, uh, uh, to, to, to Gigafactory, Texas. All right, Elon Musk commented a little bit about the next full self-driving beta update. Uh, so we've been waiting for a V11, uh, version 11 of the system that uh, is supposed to uh, 
merge the two stacks into a single stack for both iowa and ct driving so right now if you're using autopilot uh you're using a, a stack especially for autopilot that has been around for a long time but has been improving and whatnot and then you have a separate tax for full self-driving which tesla has been putting a lot more effort into over the last two years uh so now some of those improvements with that are going to come to autopilot um highway driving i was the way i say that i mean i don't i don't think it would i'm not sure it will necessarily result in any improvement to the autopilot system uh, like uh fleet wild i think it's more like for if you have fsd beta now uh it's going to be like that on the highway because if you use fsd beta what you see here right now on the image where the corners or the, the sides of the roads are red and the middle is yellow and everything you only see that when you are on or on non-highway uh roads uh, when you end up on the high roads, you get the same UI that you have on on autopilot. Um, so I think there's going to be a merger of that of the, of those two systems. But uh, so that's supposed to have been coming for the last few months. It's keep getting delayed. Now Elon Musk said that it's coming uh, the end of next month, so around the end of August. But in the meantime, next week we should get ten dot thirteen. And uh, no, not much detail on, other than the, it should end all Chuck's complex, complex left turn. So he's referencing uh, Chuck Cook, who's an early uh, Tesla FSD beta tester that has been testing a lot on the same uh, uh, difficult uh, unprotected left turn that uh, FSD beta is having issue. So apparently that could handle it. But then he, he actually, Elon, if you know Elon, you know he's a, a kind of... Um, He's a big proponent of uh, superlative, and uh, he likes to hype the software update, especially when it comes to FSD beta. And he's used a lot of words like, oh, it's going to be fire, it's going to be mind-blowing, all that. We are not getting any of that for V11. Actually, he's, he's kind of uh, managing expectation when it comes to V11. He said that the beta of V11, hopefully end of next month, would uh, just amount to incorporating highway. Importance of V11 has been reduced by all the 10.x releases. We are already mostly at V11. So he's saying that the uh, uh, 10.12 that just was released in May, 10.13 uh, that uh, that is coming uh, apparently next week. Those are pretty much 10.11, uh, sorry, uh, V11 without the highway driving being incorporated. So this is kind of, uh, uh, we'll not expect a giant bump in the FSD beta city driving situation. It's going to be more how it um, handles highway driving. Which, uh, to be honest, uh it's kind of uh scary a little bit for me why because i've been using it for the last two months and like like i posted an article like my my opinion hasn't changed a lot i think that i think that fsd beta is extremely good in terms of the computer vision system and it detects its environment very well and like kudos to the team for doing that this is impressive on its own but when it comes to the decision making I think it's the equivalent of a 14-year-old boy that just has been learning to drive over the last week and sometimes appears to be on hard drugs because uh, <laughs> uh, there's, there's some wild things that happen. Uh, and when I use the FSD beta, it, it's a job for me. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it to like, oh, okay, let let, let me get, get to my destination and be able to monitor the road, monitor the system just slightly, and I'll, I'll be able to get there. Uh, safely it's more like all right let's see how it does with this road right now and then i turn it on and i'm like all right let's experience this and like whoa be careful and everything but when i use autopilot and i just used it i just like i said i, I drove two thousand miles over the last week and uh i most of those miles were on autopilot on the highway and it's a great experience it's super easy to use it's safe for the most part of course you're always paying attention at all the time but that's the thing 
by removing some of the task of driving, you can pay better attention. And um, I think it makes the whole experience safer and more enjoyable. I don't, I, I don't want uh, uh, that to go away because there's a single stack in the FSD is also on the highway. Like if, if it gets on the highway, it has to be as good, if not better than autopilot. Otherwise, it's going to be a big bummer, especially since I have to drive back to Canada <laughs> in the next few weeks. So, uh, But I think I'm going to be fine since if Elon says end of August, uh, I think, uh, I think we, we can expect uh, sometime in September, most likely. Yeah, sounds about right. I'm still not on it. You're not missing much, so don't worry about it. <laughs> it's the whole. I think that's the whole point. You're not missing much. All right. Speaking of um, autopilot and AI, all that Tesla had a big loss this week. They uh, they lose the they, they lost um, uh, Andre Caperty, who was the head of AI and the computer vision at Tesla, and he was seen as one of the top leader of the autopilot team. Though Elon has kind of been. Talking about him, like taking a step back lately, he said that he get, he's getting Andre is getting too much credit, and uh, he said, of course, he couldn't just say that because that sounds rude. Say, oh, I'm getting too much credit. Too Andre is getting too much credit when it comes to autopilot. Andre is more just leading the AI effort at Tesla, and uh, Mister um, Ash Hawk. I'll, uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's a very difficult name to say. Ash Hawk El Uswami, I think. Uh, is the head of Autopilot now, and he has been for uh, the last year or so. But uh, Andre has been uh, on the sabbatical since March, and he said he was going on a four-month sabbatical. But when we reported that, we were like, yeah, you never We've know with Tesla. Yeah, what do you say, Seth? We've seen this story before. Uh, yeah. Doug Field went on a sabbatical, yeah. never came back. I feel like uh, somebody else did that too. Yeah, I'm blanking too, but I do remember Doug Field. Uh, I feel like, oh, uh, well, I mean, no, the only one that did went on a Sabbath school and came back was uh, uh, Jérôme Gullien. Oh, uh, right. We did come back, but then left uh, maybe a year or two later. Right. Uh, so, anyway, for general, when you go on a Sabbath school at Tesla, like, uh, it's it's hard to come back. But he said that uh, it's been a great pleasure to help Tesla towards its goal over the last five years and a difficult decision to part ways. In that time, Autopilot graduated from lane keeping to city streets. And I look forward to seeing the exceptional, exceptionally strong autopilot team continue that momentum. He did not say where he was going. He only said that uh, he uh, will continue to pursue his long-term passion around technical work in AI, open source, and education. He says that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets snapped up with a juicy, nice contract and another uh, self-driving firm. So Apple, Google, any of those. Plenty of money. Yeah. One of the smaller ones, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's been the case almost every time for all the former autopilot leader. Like they all end up in the in the, either, like you said, the big ones or Aurora or Aurora is pretty big now too at this point. Um, right. Or the other automakers, like uh, I mean, Xpeng is also an effort for the exception of this effort. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him there too, or maybe more on the AI stuff. Like he, he has a, more of a focus on AI than. Uh, though self-driving is kind of an application, a real-world application of AI. Yeah, I wonder if the Tesla bot is going to be affected by this. Yeah, it sounds most. Uh, uh, it sounds like it's almost the program that's most affected than autopilot, since he's kind of been phasing out of autopilot lately and more going towards the broader AI effort at Tesla. Right. So, do you think that's going to get delayed, or 
put on the back burner. Well, I'm going to get delayed. The official timeline is that this thing is going to be in production next year. So I always thought that was insanity, that there's no way this is getting production next year. But uh, if anything, people are going to... So if someone were to call right now, oh, Caperdi is gone, Tesla Bolt is going to be delayed. It's like, uh, you might be right. It just might not be for that reason because it's going to get delayed right. anyway. It was never coming next year. Yeah, oh, I would have been in no, in no alternative universe was it no. coming. Yeah. yeah, if there's an infinity of, in, of universe, there's none of them that has a, right. a Tesla AI bot in uh, 2020, uh, 2023. Right. All right, do you want to talk a little bit about Avent, Aventon? Sorry about that. No worries. Yes, uh, today, this week's electric podcast is sponsored by Aventon Electric Bikes. Aventon offers premium e-bikes and accessories at great value. Adventure delivered direct to your front door. The company offers a wide range of electric bicycles armed with a powerful e-bike motor that goes up to 28 miles per hour. That's class three here in the U.S. That includes its award-winning next-gen Pace 500 and 350 that set a new standard for upright cruiser bikes with their latest feature and design upgrades. The next-gen Pace 500 it has an improved battery that is now fully integrated into the frame along with integrated rear brake lights and headlights. It's available in various sizes and colors, and you'll also find a step-through frame option on the new models. You can check out the new Aventon Pace 500 and 350 on the company's website, aventon.com. That's A-V-E-N-T-O-N.com. And uh, thank you, Aventon, for sponsoring. These are great bikes. Uh, our local bike shop just got a few in, and they're they're solid. All right. Thank you, Aventon. Um. We have a few more news items to discuss, and then we're going to jump into the comment section. So if you have any comment, any question for us, you can put them in the comment section right now. We're going to get to them in about 20 to 30 minutes. If you can put question in all cap before your question, that would be super helpful for us to find them over all the, the discussions, though I don't see that many discussions in the comments today. All right. Uh, the uh, the big, uh, big unveiling this week was the Ionic 6, though it kind of kind of still the, the show last week with some images that got released or was it the week before that and pretty recently but we got the full unveiling this week and it's um uh, uh we the, the especially the the images like there was a lot of question about the design people weren't so sure it's a very uh it's a bolder design that uh people are used to uh even though the ionic 5 was kind of also uh uh, an unusual design, but this is like people talk. Okay, well now Yande is gonna with the Ionic five and six and seven and eight and whatever is gonna come after that. It's gonna be kind of with kind of with the same design cues as the five. But this this is a completely different thing. I mean, there's there's nothing that reminds me much of the Ionic five and the Ionic six. Of course, Ionic five is uh, more of a crossover, and this is a uh, kind of a sedan. But still, ooh, in black it's a uh, Oh, no, that was the concept, right? <laughs> the concept is always a little bit better, for sure. But, uh, yeah, there it is. There you go. Uh, so a little bit more of a traditional, more traditional front end, kind of almost a Porsche, maybe a Taycan kind of front end. Uh, but it's the side view that is uh, unconventional a little bit. Uh, very yeah. rounded lines. Sorry? Yeah, it almost reminds me of like a, what a Citroën would look like. Oh, you caught up there. What, what, what looked like? A Citroen, like the, oh yeah, uh, yes, yeah, uh, that rounded back. I wonder if that tail is like uh, an accessory. Like, could you take that off? Yeah, it's almost uh, because of the way that the 
strong ends. It almost looked like a double tail. Well, yeah. I think really the Ionic Six, the, the the big design, the main design feature is the curb line with the doors and the the window here. Yeah, this this is what gives it the this really specific look, because I think I like if you it. were just to look at it as like a silhouette, it would look more of a like a regular sedan, but with that curve, uh, it gives it a completely different look. I'm not mad at it, and I, from from all the comments I've seen, I think most people are enjoying it. Yep. Uh, so we have 48,000 uh, millimeters of length, uh, 1,800 millimeters of wide, height of about 1,500 millimeters. Uh, don't, uh, do we have a... Okay, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit shorter than the Ionic 5. Really? Uh, that's what oh, the wheelbase is. The wheelbase is shorter. Oh, okay. Is the actual vehicle shorter? I don't know. Yeah, the Ionic 5 has a deceptively long wheelbase. Yeah, and it is bigger than you would like it when you look at pictures and when you see in person, it, it is bigger than it looks. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a little bit, it seems like closer in relation to the Kia EV6 than the Ionic 5. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, cleaner inside and to the interior it looks uh, cleaner than the Ionic 5 for me. Yep. It looks like they, they, they cleaned it up a little bit more minimalist than the Ionic 5. Not that the Ionic 5 is extremely busy, uh, but uh, a little bit more less here. Uh, of course, this is the European version with the cameras on each side. Uh, with uh, The screens are right here to replace the mirrors. Uh, this is the back seat. It looks very spacious, but you have to be careful with those pictures. Uh, sometimes they do a little trickery the way they take the pictures. It looks pretty spacious. And uh, that woman is four feet, feet tall. <laughs> you never know. Um, all right. Uh, I mean, everything when it comes to the uh, the power train, the, the thing is uh, it's still powered by the same technology that's the NA5. So you get the 53 or 77.4 uh, kilowatt hour battery pack, uh, the extremely efficient uh, 14 kilowatt hour per 100 kilometers. Uh, you get the uh, single motor rear-wheel drive or dual motor all-wheel drive option. Uh, the all-wheel drive gets you 30, uh, 239 kilowatts. We don't have the rear-wheel drive power. Uh, 379 miles of range, that's 610 kilometers, but that's WLTP. So you can ex- expect something a little bit shorter on the on the EPA side of things, but not that much shorter. I mean, I, I would expect something uh, significantly over 300 miles of range here. Uh, 0 to 62 and 5.1 but that's for the top tier performance edition uh, again so you have the dual platform 400 and 800 volt so you can expect the super fast charging they're talking about the same of course as the Ionic 5 so at 10 to 80 percent in uh, 18 minutes it's going to receive over the year software update it has vehicle to load capacity just like the 5 it's going to support both CarPlay and Android Auto uh, and will become equipped with uh, all the uh, Hyundai SmartSense uh, Advanced Driver Assist features. The whole shebang. Um, yeah, they're also teasing an N series. So Hyundai's N um, kind of uh, name scheme is uh, for like the performance version vehicle, and uh, they, uh, they they tease the version of it here. We don't have it here though. No. Okay. Thought we see some images. Uh, in terms of the timing, when, when are we going to see that? Delivery is in 2023 for North America, but it's going to come sooner. Uh, 
production is beginning this quarter. So we can expect by the end of the year in Asia and Europe. Uh, deliveries in 2023. Don't have a specific timing in 2023, but should follow shortly after the European deliveries, in my opinion. We don't have pricing just yet. Uh, I would expect this is going to be priced a little bit higher than Anik 5. I think that's going to be fair, right? Yep. Maybe toward the Genesis, but not quite Genesis level. Yeah, it does look sweet. It looks like Hyundai has always been good at like kind of uh, straddling this this segment of like it's not premium, but it looks like premium. And it's like it's right. like uh, it was one of my first car was a Hyundai Tiburon, and like it's a very nice sports car that doesn't cost that that much money. While well, sports looking car, the performance right. was not right. always super great. But that it, it, when you're a twenty year old and you don't need like uh, a super powerful car that's gonna wreck anyway. All right, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Taiga Orca. So I kind of teased it last week and when we were on the podcast. I just came back from my test ride in it, and um, I couldn't talk about the whole thing because there was a little embargo coming out and everything. But now uh, I can say everything about it, and I can tell you this is pure, unadulterated fun. This thing is a, it's just a fun machine. Kind of talked a little bit about it la- last week, but it is, like I've always looked, just, uh, just the day before, I was on the Orca, I was on the St. Lawrence River, and I was looking at a bunch of people like having fun on jet skis and everything. And I was looking at them like, this This looks like a ton of fun to do. Uh, and then they were having a blast. They were laughing and everything. It was super loud, so it was kind of annoying for us. But like I was like, ah, oh, they're having fun. This looks like fun. But I was thinking, okay, if I was on it and I was trying to have that fun, knowing how I am about energy efficiency and and, and also, like, I don't like spending money on gas and everything. I like, I actually would have a tough time having fun on this thing because I would play on it for half an hour, and then I will be thinking, yeah, just burn like 15 bucks burn of gas. Was that worth the fun I had on this thing? Also, it was super loud. Was I bothering the neighbors and, and whatnot? So I'm like, eh, there's a lot of compromise with the fun that you can have on this. This, this, this thing, there's no compromise, it's completely uh, conscience free. Fun. You jump onto the jet ski. You have the same crazy performance on it. Way the sound is way lower. I mean, you still get the sound of the wave smacking against the the body of the. Uh, I, I keep calling it a jet ski because people know these things as jet ski, but technically, jet ski is a is a brand or a trademark of uh, Yamaha. I think Yamaha or Kawasaki. Yeah, one of those two. Yeah, one of those two. So the the actual word for it is a personal watercraft. In this case, an electric personal watercraft, but all the same experience. But you just, I mean, you, you, you can charge this thing at home, zero emission, so you don't actually pollute the beautiful environment that you're most likely going to use this in because you, you're going to use this in nature. In this case, I was testing it in uh, in Montreal, and uh, starting from the old port. Um, Taiga has offices in, in, in Montreal, and they, uh, they deploy one of their first chargers uh, at the old port. They have a, a nice charging station. But uh, to be honest, you don't even need that because the uh, most marinas, including the one at old port, they have like 240-volt uh, plugs all along the marina everywhere. So you can just like plug, plug it right there, and uh, you're going to charge it pretty quickly with the 240-volt. Uh, this thing takes DC fast chargers. So Taiga is developing their own DC fast charging station uh, at marinas around the, uh, not around the world just yet, but starting in Quebec and they are expanding to the rest of Canada and the US. 
And uh, but for the most part, uh, as a personal use vehicle, the fast charging is more like if you want to use this as a like a commercial application where uh, you want to rent them out, for example, at a specific spot. Uh, you want to be able to use these things all day. So yes, you're gonna a fast charging station would be useful for that. But if you're using this yourself as a personal vehicle, like you have a trailer, you bring it to the lake, or you have your your own key at a marina, or whatever. You can just charging use this thing for an hour or two, which is, by the way, plenty. Like it's been a while since I've done any jet ski, but it's hard on the body. That thing, like if you go hard, like a while, like it's it's uh it's a workout. I was looking at my Apple Watch and like I I was on it on uh, 15, 20 minutes, and it gave me like a good like twelve minutes of like active exercise and like two hundred or something calories burned because you go hard. It's uh it's hard on the body. But uh, you're going to be tired after an hour or whatever, maybe two hours of like switching, switching with friends or family. And then you bring that thing home or you bring that thing to the key and you plug it into the 110 volt and that the machine's going to charge overnight. Uh, so extreme fun for, again, fun, but with a clean conscience because you're not burning gas or annoying your neighbor with crazy sounds. The powertrain, I mean, this is Tiger's big... Uh, advantage here like they've been working on that powertrain for a long time there's not that many companies that have been working on very robust and powerful electric powertrain for these kind of vehicles like i mean the electric cars there's a ton of company now that have like very good powertrain electric bikes you have a ton of companies that have a great powertrain but things in between for these kind of uh, motorsport vehicle there's not that much but Taiga has been working, of course, we've reported before on their electric snowmobile. And this is the exact same powertrain that's adapted in a different vehicle because snowmobiles and jet skis are about the same size. So it's a 120 kilowatt peak motor output equivalent to about 160 uh, horsepower. They have a range mode, though, that limits it to 40 kilowatt hour. And at 40, I was already like, oh, you, you can have a lot of fun at 40 kilowatt hour. Like, I, I had to be convinced by uh, Sam Bruno, the, the CEO of the company, to actually upgrade to sports mode, which uh, I think brings you to 70 kilowatt. Uh, and then there's wild mode that unleashed the whole thing. But uh, that was uh, not actually accessible on that vehicle. The reason they gave me is that they had the uh, investor coming in earlier in the day and they, they thought that uh, it would be better to lock the, <laughs> the top version of the, of the vehicle for them, uh, not to have anyone. Uh, go too crazy on this thing. So in, in terms of the range, I have a 24 kilowatt hour battery pack that they fit in that, which is kind of impressive when you look at the size of it. Because the size is kind of a mid-range jet ski. It's not one of the biggest jet ski, one of the smaller ones. It's actually a two-seater. You can have two people comfortably sitting on this. But it doesn't look that big when, when you look at it. Uh, and fitting a 24 kilowatt hour battery pack in there, it's impressive. Uh, I was asking, like, what kind of batteries do you use? Like, it must be quite energy-dense batteries, but this is apparently top-secret stuff. They don't want to reveal it. Um, mm. And when now, when you talk to people, that's always a question. Oh, what's the range on this? What's the range on this? Like, it's a motorsport vehicle. The range is whatever you make it to be when you actually use it. Uh, the way they talk about it, it's like you can 45 kilometers of range on the when you put it in range mode. Uh, but it's you more use it in like hours of of fun really that's really more what this is about and uh, definitely we can use it for a good hour of fun pushing it relatively hard if you go slower you can do it like two three hours and they say that sometimes they win the whole day of like test rides and stuff on on one unit and like people weren't pushing it too hard and you, you can last the whole day on it but again i come back to the fact that after an hour or two, you're gonna you're gonna be dead tired on this thing. Uh, they're starting deliveries right now, so that was the big news. They're starting deliveries, and uh, the uh, they're starting with um, a Thunder Series version. They're doing kind of like the Tesla approach. 
the founder series though they have the same powertrain and everything as the uh, as the regular version it's just that you have a carbon fiber body and also some uh, more choices in terms of like the uh, the seat covers and the, the colors on the on the vehicle but other than, when it comes to performance this is the, the same thing so the starting price of it is $17,000 USD which is a little bit higher than uh, a gasoline version that is somewhat equivalent in terms of the power output so but uh, keep in mind you never have to pay for gas on that thing and uh, you you spend a lot on gas when you use a jet ski uh, so in terms of the cost of ownership uh, you're going to make your money back pretty quickly. The Founder Series version that they are delivering right now is uh, a lot more expensive. It's $24,000, but I think it's already pretty much sold out anyway, so you don't have to worry uh, much about that. I mean, I, after trying it, like I came back to the port and I was telling Sam about it. And I was like, you guys don't even need to sell those things. Like, you just There's no marketing effort involved in this. All you need to do is have like test ride events and you get people on the seat and you get people to try it and like obviously this is this is a better solution for a jet ski than anything else on, on the market right now like uh, and it's obvious it's that's the case for a lot of and anything you make electric you're like ah oh, this is this makes more sense uh they just did it very well like this is this is a for a small a relatively small startup that is getting started this is uh a very well executed in my opinion yeah any question really about nice. it set well, I'm wondering, um, like uh, a commenter, Guan uh, Co mentions that uh, he used to own a Sea-Doo and it was just a lot of maintenance. Um, mm-hmm. Did they talk about maintenance being, I mean, obviously fewer moving parts, not exploding, uh, combusting? Yeah, all the same be- advantages that you get into an electric car, you're going to get in this. There's basically no maintenance to do whatsoever. Uh, all you have to do is like, okay, something might break at times. It's not impossible. This is a vehicle that gets uh, a lot of views in harsh environment. Tiger did their old due diligence and quality control to make it uh, to, to to make it as uh, lasting as possible. But uh, they do have uh, they do uh, using a dealership network in order to service them if something happens. And you said uh, DC. Looking at the screen right now, you can see that a typical CCS combo. Yeah, um, it it uses just a, a standard CCS combo port for DC charging as well. Yeah, yeah, they have. Uh, you can use a J seventeen seventy two, which what uh, what was be, being plugged in right there, or mm-hmm. uh, and it comes with a charger, of course. Or you can use a CCS, and uh, they have a few uh, already deployed. I think they mostly have uh, for the snowmobile right now, but I know that they have a fast charger. I think in Magog they have one. Uh, mm-hmm. Lake Magog, a big lake uh, in South of Quebec, uh, but uh, they're deploying more and more. And uh, but but again, I, I think I think the, the the fast charging is more for a commercial application of this. Like if you want to rent them out and you have a little fleet and uh, you want to charge them, if you're a consumer, you should more worried about do you really want do you want to have a level two charging or just level one overnight might be enough for you. I think that's more the decision to be made here. Yeah, we have Jonathan saying, "My God, twenty four thousand, seventeen thousand." Play toy for the rich. I mean that, not not that's not Tiger. That's jet skis and personal watercraft in in general. Those are are play toys for the rich. Unless you buy used, and then if you buy used, it's like the other guy said, the Guan code, and you have to worry about maintenance a lot. So there's nothing special, unique to Tiger there. Yeah. All right. Canu uh, kind of came back from the dead this week. Uh, the uh, Walmart. Uh, Gave them a lifeline with an order of up to 10,000 uh, delivery van. 
So Canoe has this vehicle that's uh, kind of a, a hybrid, like you can do whatever, like you, you can do a lot of things with that kind of deal and a vehicle and turn it into a delivery van if you want. And uh, Walmart is going to use it as a delivery van with, uh, I think the initial order is at least 4,500 van and it can be up to 10,000. But they also have a, uh, an option to convert, uh, to exercise a purchase of uh, up to 61 million shares that would give them about the 20% ownership into the company. So that helped double the stock price, which uh, was kind of hurting over the last uh, few months. Like a lot of those uh, smaller EV startups that went the SPAC, SPAC deal away over the last year, uh, the um, the timing wasn't great for, for a lot of them. And uh, since a lot of them went public without either reaching production, it's been an issue and uh, that, that affected uh, Canoe. But uh, this, this order from Walmart is a big uh, kind of a seal of approval from a giant company like Walmart. But at the same time, like we've seen those happen before, like GM and the Nikola deal, for example. You have to be careful. Not, I'm not saying that this is the same. Of course, Nikola had a bunch of other problems, like a uh, uh, CEO that would uh, lie to his teeth. But there's there's a lot of things that comes uh, risky with this. Uh, but this uh, the, the canoe, uh, they call it the electric LDVS for lifestyle delivery vehicle. Uh, it has 120 cubic feet of fully customizable car- cargo volume. 1,500 pounds of payload capacity, DC fast charging from 20 to 80% in 28 minutes. Um, level 2 driver assist feature, 200 plus miles of range, and rear cargo light. Some images here of the what it looks inside. Is there any timeline for delivering those uh, units? Uh, the Walmart branded Alivis are expected to hit the roads around the U.S. in 2023. But, okay, some, some units is going to be also delivered in Dallas within the coming weeks. Okay. Dallas. So if you're in Texas, you might see those around sooner than uh, next year. All right. Uh, we have a few more news items, and then we're going to jump into the comment section. So be ready for that and put your question in the comment section. All right. Ford has filed new trademarks for electric version of the Maverick and the Ranger. So those are the it's two entry-level pickup truck, uh, smaller and the smallest being the Maverick and then the Ranger before moving to the F-150 line. So the F-150, of course, you have the F-150 Lightning that already been electrified in the lineup. And when I say electrified, I mean actually all-electric powertrain because uh, the Maverick actually is a, already a hybrid, I think. And uh, I don't know about the Rangers if there's any electric option. But in Europe, uh, Ford has filed for names for the Maverick Lightning and Ranger Lightning, which obviously would point to electric version. And then when you look at the category in which they file those trademarks, it is specifically for pickup trucks and electric vehicles. So we assume that. But at the same time, I also found U.S. filing dating from a week prior that uh, filed for Maverick Thunder and Ranger Thunder. And that also is filed under pickup trucks and electric vehicles. So this is uh, this is strange. So it looks like, well, I mean, we already knew that uh, Ford was looking to uh, electrify m- more than the F-150 when it comes to the pickup truck. And uh, it made sense to go down market before going up market with the bigger trucks like the 250 and all those. So the Maverick and the Rangers are, are, are primed to be uh, electrified by the fully electric powertrain. But now it looks like they're either going to be called the Thunder or the Lightning. Also, Ford also filed uh, a trademark for the F-150 Thunder. So I don't know what's that about. The F-150 electric version that 
seems to be uh, solidified as the lightning, but the thunder might be in the cards too. So it, here's a little uh, diagram that shows the, the difference in sizes. So the forefront one is the Maverick. And then you have the Ranger, which is about 10 centimeter uh, longer and a few inches taller. Uh, no, no, 10 inches, sorry, 10 inches longer ten, and a uh, few inches uh, higher. And uh, then the F-150 is uh, a good 20 inches longer and uh, four inches higher than the Ranger. So the Maverick and the Ranger, you see, you see them, uh, the Maverick and the F-150, you see them five, side by side and you see a massive difference. But the Maverick, you can still have with a full cab, four, four doors uh, cab. So it's just that the bed is pretty small when you have that, uh, when you have a full cab. All right, finally, VinFast has been making some wave lately. This uh, Vietnamese company that's... Uh, uh, been uh, making some advancement into the electric vehicle market uh, is uh, as recently opened a bunch of retail store in Canada and in the US uh, starting for the their electric uh, SUV that's coming to market the VF8 and the VF9 and uh, they announced a massive deal in North Carolina this week uh, they are uh, they receive a, a package deal for 1.2 billion dollars worth of incentive of course, that's going to be over a certain period of time as they um, invest into the manufacturing there. But uh, yeah, it's in uh, the Chatham, Chatham, I think. County. I think it's just uh, west of Riley. Uh, the factory is going to be built there, and it's going to uh, produce hundreds of thousands of uh, electric vehicles. We're supposed to go test out uh, these uh, vidfast uh, SUVs, and we have a better idea of uh, how serious the effort is. I mean. Money-wise, it's obviously serious, but it's, uh, not, not a lot of people know about oh, Vietnamese electric vehicles. Like, what's that about? It's quite new yeah. for the Western world. So I think uh, within the next few weeks or at least months, we're going to have a better idea with uh, Scooter going out there to uh, test out their vehicle. All right. Uh, let's jump into the comment section. All right. So we talked uh, before the show um, a far Follow Moo says every day I flip flop between thinking EVs are the future and thinking that they're a dead end. Here's hoping that this podcast will revitalize me for at least an extra day or two. Um, and, you know, we asked him why uh, before the show. And he says, one, EVs are way too expensive. You know, I don't know if that's the case, especially if you look at uh, cost total ownership. ownership. Right. Uh, two, EVs have uh, such a hard uphill battle in range anxiety versus gasoline. And I mean that that does exist, but I think once you're used to it, and uh, you actually get gasoline anxiety if you don't have an electric car. Like uh, you know, you wake up every morning with 300 miles of range, and if that's not the case, like with gasoline, it's it's stressful. And then uh, three, except for the first two points, EVs are perfect for everything else. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. They're perfect for everything else. Like they, they do win on the, almost every category. Uh, to his two points, I mean, EVs are way too expensive. EVs are expensive. Every new car right now is expensive. Period with inflation. But uh, when you look at the cost of ownership over time with gas savings, then there's no doubt in my mind that EVs are a better financial choices choice than uh, than a gas powered vehicle, especially when you account for uh, value of resale, like the. EVs are, are holding their value a lot better than gasoline cars these days, even though gasoline cars are holding also their value a lot because just the used car market is crazy right now. But 
So I don't. I think uh, financially speaking, there are better choices, no doubt about it. And in terms of the range anxiety, I think, I think that's. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe if, uh, if uh, Far Mu has not have a, an EV, uh, uh, hasn't had the chance to use it as a daily driver, but. Any kind of range anxiety, I think, goes away pretty quickly over time. I just drove 2,000 miles over the last week, a giant road trip uh, from deep in Quebec all the way to now in Mississippi, and a very smooth experience using the supercharger network. Uh, and no, no anxiety whatsoever. Uh, if you know where you're going, you're not supposed to have any range anxiety. Uh, and most people, when they drive, they have a specific destination where they're going. And every time I stop at a supercharger, and I think the, the lowest I got, I had 31 miles left in it. So I wasn't worried about it at all. 31 miles is still a good distance. I could have probably made it to another charging station if I needed to, if something didn't work with that one. And it always worked. And then I, uh, so it was a pretty fast road trip. Like you know, within four days, we went from uh, Montreal to uh, here in Oxford, Mississippi. And we so so we to save more time to what we did we chose hotels that had chargers at the hotel which made it super easy every morning we would wake up with 300 miles of range we could make 300 miles stop for lunch so 300 miles like it's a three three something hours of driving you're pretty tired after three hours of driving you stop for lunch at a supercharger your car is fully charged and then you're back on the road and that and that's like 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 you said that's an extreme version of it most of the time you just drive to work or whatever and then you drive back home and you wake up with a full charge overnight that's the more common use of it and uh no i mean i i, I think i think the evs have won already it's just a question of like ramping up at this point there's no uh, yeah, there's no getting people as well yeah there's no dead end like uh for follow me said all right uh, moving on tyler donahoe question will electric motorcycles adopt the same charging standards as the car chargers. Yeah. I think I mean, it's already happening, right? Yeah, it's already happening. It's just a more of a question of like, oh, do, do you want to have a onboard uh, level two charger in there? Because it's, you know, it's a, it's quite big uh, to fit in a, a motorcycle. So it's kind of a choice to make. And I know some, some manufacturers offer it. Like, do you want just one level one? Because you, you cannot fit that big. Like we're talking about uh, Tiger fitting a 24 kilowatt hour battery pack into a jet ski. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, vehicle that can fit the 24 uh, motorcycle that can fit that uh, and and make it safe. So you can charge that overnight on level one pretty easy. So you might not even need a level two charging, but so that can become optional. And then you have level three, obviously, uh, if you want to do some more road trip. So I think it's more about like uh, having different options. But yeah, it's going to be CCS and J1772, I think, for most uh, cases. All right, uh, moving on. Question, who is liable when an Ionic 5 burns out or up while charging on a Tesla supercharger? With Tesla charging on Tesla, it's Tesla. Uh, I think yeah. it, would be a, it would be an investigation or something to see what what would what, what happen, I think. Uh, I think there would be a lot of media headline blaming everyone <laughs> and then yeah. uh, investigation and then the, an actual cause is found and we go from there. But I don't think that's a major concern, to be honest. All right, uh, MJL says FSD did not capital NOT solve Chuck's left turn. I thought. I mean, Elon. Future. Yeah, yeah, Elon said the ten thirteen, which is the one coming next week. So I don't think anyone said that it was supposed to solve it until now. 
All right, uh, Jonathan Root, unions will be gaining significantly more importance in the coming years given their labor market, including unions' provisions. That makes political sense. I don't know if he's just... Yeah, I'm not sure. There, but uh, no question, I guess. I guess that's kind of true. All right, moving on. Um, Tyler Donahoe is talking about the... Um, Ionic 6. Oops, yeah. Yeah, I can I can see the squish beetle a little bit there. Richard Tier question: If Aptera do end up using Tesla connector in their cars, would that make Tesla eligible for the multi-billion-dollar grants recently? <laughs> I was thinking about that because the what Rich is referring to here is that the the actual way that the bill is phrased, all you need to get access to the funding is to, to that the charging station can be used by more than one the a vehicle by more than one automaker. So instead of like you opening up to everyone with a CCS adapter, you could just partner with a single auto automaker and you would still uh, technically be eligible to the funding. Uh, obviously, uh, that, that would be like playing the system a little bit. I don't think Tesla is going to go for that. But technically, I think I think you're right. Uh, to be honest, Aptera, like, <laughs> Aptera doesn't even need the charging that much <laughs> the old idea is like the solar right. and everything and and they have a 600 mile version of the uh of, of the vehicle like you could literally go driving all day without need of, of, of charging and then charge overnight so uh, the soup the, the if there's one car that doesn't actually need this fast charging that much it would be right. the aptera um so tesla could very well partner with them and have them uh, onboard them on the supercharger network and it probably wouldn't be a big load for them in terms of like the wait time and all that yeah that's a good point all right this is interesting uh far follow mu uh is back saying definitely a problem tyler referring to uh the economics of evs but when i bought my bolt three weeks ago it was the cheapest new car at the dealer high auto prices are not just an ev problem right now well that's a weird what we're talking about i mean we this is the guy who earlier said that EVs were too expensive and he just bought a Bolt. <laughs> He's hard to follow. <laughs> the cheapest car on the lot. Yeah. All right. the, the only problem with the Bolt, again, we, we discussed that before, but it's not really a road trip car. Like the, for the long distance yeah. driving because of the limited fast charging capacity, uh, then the range anxiety can kick in on, on that. But as long as you know that and you know, you're not planning to use it too much as a road trip car, and it's a, it's a perfect vehicle. All right, we have a caps lock, Michael Smithers. I saw an electric article about max charge rates, but no mention was made of the actual impact on charge time. The charge curve is hugely important. Having a higher charge rate for a minute is meh. That's a good yeah. point. Uh, yeah. It's true, uh, but oftentimes we don't get the the full thing they just tell us the max charge rate yeah automakers are, are getting better about that and they will share more like a, a 10 to 80 a 20 to 80 percent state of charge in how many minutes which uh, you're right is definitely more valuable information than uh it's charged at 350 kilowatts or whatever uh or or some kind of uh tesla likes to use like how many miles per hours they, they you, you charge but even that, like, uh, I, I, you see that when you plug into a supercharger. Like, at first, it charged, like, 2,000 miles per hour, but then it tempers down to, like, 300 miles per hour. So, like, even that information is not ideal. Uh, but, yeah, yeah the, 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 uh, the best information is, like, give me a 10 to 80% in how many minutes. That's the one that people like. 
Tyler Donahost says, Cano is what I feel like an electric truck should actually be. The motors are by the wheels. You now have all that space where the engine used to be. Just move the driver forward and give more cargo. This well, is that, that's basically every electric vehicle out there. Though. Right. All right, I'll move back. And then, of course, you remove the trunk and the crumple zone if you do that. Um, question. All right, here's the last question we have. Question, will the Polestar 3 be a seven-seater? Well, they haven't really uh, unveiled it fully yet, so... We just learned that uh, it, might, it might be a little bit more expensive than people are thinking. Like the the CEO just said, the seventy five thousand euros to one hundred and ten thousand euros. So, uh, comparing it to like a Porsche Cayenne, so it's uh, maybe a little bit more high end that people were thinking of. Uh, I know that Polestar is kind of uh, branding itself as like a premium automaker, but not like a full luxury one uh, like Porsche, in my opinion. So. Uh, the Cayenne is not a seven-seater, as far as I know. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, my my first guess would be probably not, but uh, maybe I, I don't know. We'll have to wait. Uh, October, I think, is when they are unveiling it fully. Yeah. So so we'll wait until then. But uh, that's it for the show this week. I think Seth and I are gonna crash because uh, <laughs> had a tough week. But uh, thanks a lot for listening to the show this week. Thanks a lot to uh, Aventon for uh, Aventon for the. A sponsor of the show you can check out in the their website in the release note and the release note in the show notes in the show notes uh on electric uh, right here you just click on it and uh we're gonna see you same time same place next week hopefully if we're all uh still there